Moncrief on News Talk. Hey, Kai. Welcome back. Thought you'd sleep in, huh? Roger's a very respected surgeon. He's the one who dressed and treated your wounds. You're a lucky man. What was this? That's my little assistant health monitor. Keeps track of your condition. Right, uh, that's Bo is afraid. So what's Bo afraid of, Deirdre? Yeah, this is a very strange movie. Uh, but Bo is basically kind of afraid of everything and he's afraid of life itself. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix is playing the character of Bo, who's like this super meek, very anxious, very isolated character who's basically unable to cope with life at all. And on top of that, he manages to get into this series of very unfortunate and very absurd events. Um, he's initially locked out of his apartment. He ends up kind of convalescing in this uh, house with this family who you would have heard uh, the voices up there played by Amy Ryan and Nathan Lane, who are this couple who are mourning for their son, who was a veteran. And they have this daughter who's kind of rebelling in the background, who's really um, unhappy with the fact that Bo is staying in their house and that she isn't really getting any attention because of their mourning. Um, Bo eventually ends up in this forest with these travelling theatre actors who put on this surreal <laughs> performance for him and then it, the whole movie goes in this, into this kind of animation um, and he eventually kind of ends on trial for his life so it's just it's a very very strange movie um, I suppose the whole idea here is that Bo is going through all of these um, events which would be anyone's worst nightmare and that's what kind of makes it a horror movie I suppose he's growing up with a mother who uh, psychologically torments him and you see a number of uh, flashbacks that establish that relationship um, he's living alone in this crime ridden uh, city he gets stabbed he gets run over he comes face to face with a literal monster which is an absolutely nuts um, nuts sequence um, but it kind of was all lost on me as to what the whole thing meant. And it was a really funny kind of experience watching it because there was so, so much happening in this um, that I was really consistently invested. I wanted to always know what was going to be the next thing to happen to Bo. But by the end of the movie, I just found myself asking myself what was the point in all of that because mm, yeah. the movie is also a running time of three hours and oh, by the end of it no, I kind God, of felt save us why did I spend my time watching this like it's all it sounds like you've described seven movies <laughs> or seven short movies that are somehow linked together just because they have the same character in it yeah and it's kind of a weird one like I said I like I'm maybe there is some kind of deep meaning to it that I didn't quite understand like Ari Aster the director he's spoken about how hereditary midsummer and this movie Bo is a kind of form this spiritual trilogy even though all three follow very different stories and very different characters um, but all three of the movies kind of share these similar themes of grief and trauma so maybe that's what this movie is working through but I saw the film described on Wikipedia as a surrealist tragic comedy horror and I do think that's mm. a pretty apt description of what kind of genre you're looking at here so if you're if you're a real kind of movie movie person who likes those kind of surrealist movies like um I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Yorgos Lanthimos, but he would have yeah. directed like The Favourite. Mm. He did uh, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. It was the tone of those kind of movies that kind of, I, I suppose, that were coming to mind as I was watching this particular one. Though, 
those movies kind of have a, a, a you know a, a narrative arc you can follow. Yeah. This sounds like it's just bonkers. Yeah, I mean, like it does have a story that you can actually uh, follow and that you could like kind of write out. But describing it to someone, they're like, "But how did that happen?" It's kind of yeah, it's kind of difficult. <laughs> is it kind of it. yeah? Is it kind of you'd go with someone who'd spend half the film? Go, Who's that now? What's yeah. going on? What's that? What relation are they to each other? I mean, especially when it gets into that dream sequence in the forest, which the only thing I could kind of compare it to is. Do you remember those old musicals like Carousel and uh, Singing in the Rain when they'd have that like random dance sequence that seemed completely like out of the movie and all of a sudden all of the characters and there's no dialogue. That's what it kind of reminded me of. It's just a very kind of surrealist movie and the critical reception to it so far has been kind of lukewarm as opposed to Midsummer and Hereditary which got like really widespread acclaim and I'm not completely surprised by that to be honest because it's just it's very very strange. Okay, the, the the horror component of it, mm-hmm. is it particularly horrific? I wouldn't think so, except like I said, that if you were in Bow shoes, you'd be like, this is an absolute, absolutely horrible situation to end up in. I think that at one point when he finally manages to get back into his apartment and he's taking a bath, trying to relax, there is a a drug addict on the ceiling above him who falls on top of him in the bath. It's like, how does he manage to get into these situations? And I know it's kind of, I know I'm kind of talking a lot about the story here, but it's a very difficult film to describe without getting into those story details. And I feel like anybody listening to it, they'll either like listen to uh, listen to my description and be like, that sounds absolutely amazing. I really want to check out how mad this is or be completely put off by it. And uh, I think, I think that's kind of the nature of this movie. It's, it's one you're either going to love or absolutely just not be into it It kind of sounds like three or four people going, it'd be brilliant if this happened. And then we just stick in an animation sequence. And then they put everything in on top of each other. Uh, And uh, James and Cabra says, am I the only person who's getting a bit tired of Joaquin Phoenix playing socially odd middle-aged men in quirky indie comedies? He's taking typecasting to a whole new level. That's, yeah, that's pretty much the performance here. And he ends up in pyjamas for most of the movie. It's just, it's very odd. Okay, on the money then, uh, James. Okay, so is this in cinemas? This is in cinemas. Now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we well, like with is in, would they be anticipating some sort of nominations for things at some point? Do you think? I don't. I don't really think so. I don't think that that's really Ari Aster's uh, concern here. I think he's just really ex- interested in exploring genre and exploring uh, cinema and these kind of big wider themes. So, like I said, it's a real movie kind of movie. If you're yes. if you're into that sort of thing. Yeah. 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 I wonder was it a can and how much of a round of applause it got. Um, <laughs> someone says I'll not even go to the theatre because of the clappers. Uh, And somebody else says, I was recently at a communion and there were several rounds of applause and and I was bored. So I started counting the claps. The average number of claps per round was 25. God, they simply should do a scientific study of, you know, what's the, you know, when you kind of, it peters out and people know it's time to stop clapping. My grandmother was giving out actually recently when, um, when people applaud the choir in mass. She's not impressed with that at all. Do they do that? Yeah, apparently. And she was in uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral. And she just wasn't impressed at all by it. Because you can imagine the priest to go, what about me? I just delivered a barnstorming <laughs> exactly. sermon there. Exactly. Where's my applause? <laughs> and, uh, can you ask Madame Duval? That's uh, Eugene. Uh, what is the story behind Chocolate Block SA Boutique Wine? It's one of my favourite red wines. I'd love to know a bit more about it, says no. Funnily enough, it's produced by Booten Houdenkloof, who's we've just had their Porcupine Ridge. Um it's uh, yeah, it was it was a hugely fashionable style about fifteen years ago. What happened was was that they uh, 
It's the toast of the barrel. They started um, making the wines and toasting the barrels so that the flavour that came through had this kind of chocolatey texture. And, you know, particularly for grape varieties like Syrah or Shiraz um, and Cabernet Sauvignon. So it was all to do with the toasting of the barrel. And um, so it became a a kind of a big cult um, kind of fashionable style of wine. Now, it's still it's still around and and obviously it's still very popular, but it's it's it's, it's basically to do with the flavours, that, that kind of chocolatey flavour, which you will get a lot. I mean, you know, barrel ageing does give that mocha chocolate, chocolate coffee characteristic to red wines. Um, but it, it, this is like, the, you know, chocolate on steroids. They, the way they age it is done deliberately to give that very pronounced chocolatey flavour to the red wine. Ah, so that's so that, interesting. And, that's, that, and, that, and it was kind of, it evolved out of South Africa and then it became, it sort of, other people started doing it. But really, I think the South Africans were the best known for it. And it's this winery, uh, Butenshausen Kloof, um, who, who, ah, who right. actually did that particular wine, the chocolate block. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Ruri says, I thought Midsummer was brilliant as far as disturbing horrors go, but Hereditary was completely overhyped uh, and a letdown. So I'm on the fence about Aster. I like surrealism, but is this film like Mother? Because if so, I am out. That was dreadful and just nonsense for nonsense sake. Oh, I do remember Mother. Yeah, that was that was also a very weird film. I'd say it probably is about as strange. So we probably wouldn't enjoy this, to be okay, honest. Okay, Ruri, just <laughs> saved you the price of a, a cinema ticket there. Uh, Peter says, my son introduced me to Moldovan wines having worked there for a time. My small local shop Fogarty's in Ballymore Eustace uh, stocks a pleasant Moldovan Pinot Grigio at a reasonable price in a plastic bottle. Uh, and I buy very nice Merlot de Pucari uh, <coughs> excuse me online very reasonably priced again from Moldova yeah that, I mean the Plastic great bottle. value is the whole thing about Moldova and you know their winemaking uh, has just improved in leaps and bounds particularly over the last 15 years it's definitely a country worth watching and hopefully we'll see a lot more of their wines on the Irish market uh, right so we're going to see a Pink Panther reboot Fanula, but with Eddie Murphy in it yeah this is a bit weird right okay. so I think they're doing like a kind of who framed Roger Bo is afraid weird <laughs> pretty much yeah so Eddie Murphy is apparently in talks between this new revival of the Pink Panther film franchise uh, originally played by Peter Sellers and then later by Steve Martin Beyonce was also in that movie if anyone remembers wow, loved that first remember, movie no. don't really remember the sequel but anyway so they're on about bringing it back but it's from uh, the director Jeff Fowler who was the head of the Sonic the Hedgehog movies that we've seen recently. Okay. Do you see where I'm going here? Yes, so the plan yes. is to have Eddie Murphy be uh, Inspector Clouseau and then the actual Pink Panther be a thing in the film franchise because it hasn't been like it leads in the intro and the animation but it hasn't been in the movies Yes, thus far. yeah, because it was a duel in the original movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he has an Oscar though. Did you know that? The Pink Panther. Like the actual Pink Panther. No, I didn't know yeah, that. He's an well, Oscar for, for and he's a side gig over in the States selling insulation. I'm not sure what he is the Oscar for, but yeah, it like, must be some kind of honorary Oscar for being a very good cartoon okay. cat. Good, good, good for, good for him. Panther, really, <laughs> rather than, uh, than cat. So, yeah. So, is Eddie Murphy going to affect a, a French accent for this? Is he going to be... Inspector Clouseau. Oh God, I forgot that because Steve Martin did the yeah. did the French accent for his, but it kind of worked because it's Steve, Steve Martin and he's a bit hammy. I don't know actually. Yeah, unless they're putting a fully kind of new spin on it, like fully hard reboot. I don't know. Yeah, we'll wait and see. Yeah, does your dog bite? And then the dog bites him. <laughs> it's not my dog. Anyone who saw the original film. Uh, right, uh, Alec Baldwin, on a kind of darker note, uh, Alan uh, Alec Baldwin has rejoined the cast of the movie. 
uh, where all that tragedy took place. Yeah, well, he's currently, like, they're nearly finished if they haven't already finished Rust. But he's apparently signing on to do this next film, right, which is called Kent State. I just think this is mad, right? And it's about this... Shooting, shooting against that was a real thing. Like yeah. about at a, an ah, Ohio university on, in the 1970s, exactly where four students were shot and killed during a campus protest. He's due to play the Kent State president, Robert White, and it's gonna ha- like follow what happened on the day. And exactly as you said, Alec, read the room. Like you know, like I'm sure you've other projects. Maybe you don't have that many projects being offered to you right now. I know, given but like just something but... non-shooting related yeah, would be good. It's just co- next. I couldn't believe when I read this. I was like, this is. How this is too on the nose in a way that is just like actually kind of makes me recoil. Like it's really, really weird. Uh, it sound, like seems like a good movie otherwise, but then I don't know what they're thinking even bringing him into the fold given all the press around him. But then is it a thing of like any press is good press. It's already putting attention on the film, you know? So I'd weird. say he's a degree of neck though at the same oh, time. He'd be a bloody degree, minded. A doctorate yeah. in neck, yeah, I would say. Yeah. He would be like, I didn't do it wrong, so... Why shouldn't I do this film? Yeah, what's yeah. Your, you know, what's your problem? Yeah, I would say And then so. if, if if you say you have a problem, he'll leave a screamy half an hour message in your answer machine yeah. kind of thing. And he has 800 uh, children to feed. So. Uh, does he? How many children does he have? So many. Oh my God. Like Nick Cannon levels of offspring now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> loads with the second wife. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Eight or nine, I think, but then has really? like three or four others. Yeah, including like Ireland, who you mentioned from the voicemail. Yeah. Wasn't Lord. this uh, wasn't it Harrison Ford that just had a child or was it no, somebody it was else? Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro just Robert had a Niro, child, yeah. Seventy nine. And like his, his his first child is in his fifties. Yeah, fully. With his Tai Chi instructor from The Intern, if anyone remembers that movie. So there you go. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Madness. Yeah. That was okay, right. Because you'd wonder like he has a baby now. Will the baby ever meet even like any of the siblings or anything? Do you mind like how long Robert will last, you know? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Life's questions. I yeah. thought you were going to say, will he ever get to meet his father? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's that. Well, there, they'll probably be both. They'll both be fed in some sort of artificial way beside each other in the near future. Uh, anyway, I'll move on from that uh, tasteful thought. Uh, we do have to take a break back in a couple of minutes. Uh, shall we have a drink to celebrate Christopher's good I, fortune? I think so. Yeah. Uh, think so tell so. us about our second wine. Okay, this is the Bachadal Chardonnay. Um, the 2020, 17.99. Um, this is one of the oldest wine estates in South Africa and it's an iconic wine farm. I mean, seriously, uh, it was originally a manor house built in 1795 by French Huguenots and the estate has actually, previous owners include Cecil John Rhodes and the De Beer Diamond family. So it's kind of one of the fancy. trophy, yeah, very fancy. It's one of the trophy um Winery. So obviously there's been a lot of investment, particularly in recent years. You know, they've they've just pumped money into this. Um, one of the, the one of the things that they're most famous for is the Cape Classique, which is their sparkling wine. And um, obviously they need a lot of Chardonnay to do the the sparkling wine. And you know that that is a, a wine style that Boschendal have become really very well known for. They've got a 254 hectare estate. Um, in you know between sort of Franschhoek and Stellenbosch, um, you know. Uh Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc are their kind of their signature white varietals. Um, you know, they, it, again, it's a well-known. Now, this would be their entry-level wine. It's their Chardonnay. And just to let you know where it's available, you'll get it in Wicklow Wine Company, the Parting Glass in Enniskerry, Malloy's off-licence, 1601 in Cork, um, and the number 21 off-licences. So what I like particularly about this is this is a big buttery Chardonnay. It's quite opulent with lots of um, tropical fruit and those lovely creamy notes. Now, 
this is it's got a, it's very expressive with a lovely waxy finish as well. This this is my kind of chardonnay. It's maybe not to everybody's styles. Increasingly nowadays, they're starting to make chardonnay where the use of oak isn't maybe as as prominent. Um, but I love the, like the the lovely kind of wood coming through on it. You certainly get it on the nose. You've got a lovely buttery creaminess, and when you taste it, lots and lots of like there's almost citrus fruit there. There's grapefruit. There's it's like an absolute as we say, cornucopia of flavours literally bursting around the mouth. Nice length mid palate. Um, you know, not uh, an entry level wine. Seventeen ninety nine is kind of mid price now. But if you're looking for a good uh, Chardonnay and the other thing about that, a, a big weighty Chardonnay like that, if you're cooking and you've got any sort of dish that has lots of kind of strong flavours in it, that's, that'll stand up to the flavours and it'll really like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm talking like herb flavours or yeah. you know anything that's got, like kind of strong, even a bit of it's something with spice, a bit of heat in it. That, that'll that hold its own with it, you know, okay. it definitely will. Lovely wine. Fanula, which was your uh, out of the two? Which one did you like better? The second one. Second the second one. one the buttery Chardonnay. Yeah, opulent was a great <coughs> word to describe it. It's so nice. And you too, Fanula. That's why we all describe uh, the opposite of opulent is probably the 10th Fast and Furious movie. Here's the clip of it. You remember my father, Hernan Reyes. My father was a horrible man, very bad daddy. But I kind of liked him, and you took him from me when you stole our money and left us with nothing but suffering. That's what I came here for to end that suffering. Oh, and I didn't take that money. <laughs> I burned it. There you go. Very bad daddy. That's part of the complex characterization you will discover in this movie. Uh, so uh, tell us what happens. Yeah, so you would have heard a clip there from uh, Jason Momoa. So he is the new bad guy in this case. He plays Dante Reyes, who is a who is the son of a character you met in a previous pa- Fast and Furious movie. But as with basically every character that comes back to the Fast and Furious franchise. You can't exactly remember their connection <laughs> to the so is there, story. Is, would it be actually an advantage to have seen previous films to understand what's going on? Is no, this kind of Marvel Universe I've seen thing? all 10 of them and I still do. <laughs> Oh, wow. No, okay. what's going on? Uh, but basically, uh, Jason Momoa plays a character who is seeking revenge for his father's death and the loss of his family's fortune, uh, which occurred at the hands, of course, by Dominic uh, Toretto, who is played by Vin Diesel. Now, we've had some interesting villains in the Fast and Furious franchise um, over the years. Luke Wilson, Idris Elba, you might remember, popped up. Uh, Charlize Theron. And Charlize Theron is back in this movie as well, kind of on the good side now. Okay. It's not completely clear. Uh, but in this case, uh, Jason Momoa, I have to say, has been one of the worst villain so far and I think that he might have given one of the worst villain performances I've ever seen. He's just I feel like the director kind of said just go with it to him Uh, but he's completely inconsistent. In the first couple of scenes he's doing this kind of stoic, sincere like strong bad guy thing and then he goes kind of almost into a kind of Joker-like performance and then he's kind of camping it up later in the film and it's just so inconsistent and I think that the director just didn't really give any proper direction to him and let him just freewheel um, but basically the film totally suffered for it. Uh, all your familiar faces are back here. You've got uh, Dominic Toretto as the big hero. He's almost kind of superhero like in the things he's able to do with his car. Like at one point he drives his car into a crane to bounce off it to hit a bomb and push it into the river and the car emerges completely unscathed from all of this. Cool. And then another point he has his he drives his car off a plane and and basically like buffers it by landing on two cars and again just 
emerge as completely unscathed. So I suppose that's why people go to see these movies. It is for the absolutely ridiculous, out of this world, completely in impossible stunts. Uh, you've got lots of racing cars. You've got fighting, public property damage, explosions. Um, and of course, we have the scantily clad women dancing around cars because that's what all women aspire to in their late teens, well, early and, 20s, and, and of why, course. Why do these women dance scantily clad around these cars? I don't know. They just, they just, you got to do just randomly it. there or is that racism? If you want to be in a Fast and Furious movie, that's what you got to do. It's yeah. just, it's yeah. absolutely nuts. The, but, the, uh, like the thing, like, I don't know, I don't think I've ever seen any of them. I know it's got to do with cars and yeah. people hitting each other. So, yeah. it, it, but it, is, it, is it become, if you've seen all of them, yeah. God love you, <laughs> is it an, an increasing strain to try and even shoehorn cars into uh, these stories? I mean, the cars kind of are the story. There are isn't really a story. There's just cars and racing and characters like bouncing off of each other. And, you know, uh, you've got Ludacris and Tyrese Gibbons, Gibson's characters are always butting heads. And then you've got kind of the hacker characters who are doing these, again, absolutely technologically impossible uh, feats. So it's just it's just a very silly franchise. But, you know, having watched all 10 movies, there are installments that are better than others. Like, I think that there's a general consensus that Fast Five is the best one. And I would say that as well. Like, it's a really fun um, heist movie. Um, the the more recent movies like, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten have kind of been more mixed. I think that eight is quite good. Um, but this one for me personally was probably one of the worst installments because it just feels like they're not even trying anymore when it comes to the actual uh, logic of it. But also the characters have just become so dull and they have absolutely nothing to do at this stage. And I have to say, we kind of were, you know, talking about it earlier in the programme, but the cliffhanger ending just irked me so, so much. Because it's only half a film, yeah. really. Have yeah. they shot the other one? Like, it, it, did they shoot the whole thing at the one time and they just chopped it in two? I that's the whole idea. Yeah, but it's two hours, 20 minutes and nothing happened. And I felt Crikey. very dissatisfied by the end of it. Like, it's 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 kind of a who's who. Like, if you like the franchise, you'll be delighted because they basically bring absolutely everyone back. Like, even Jason Statham um, appears for a couple of scenes. You've got Helen Mirren coming back, Charlie Theron. Uh, Brie Larson plays a new character who immediately has this inexplicable loyalty to Dom. Um, um, there's one character who at one point uh, everybody kind of knows that Fast and Furious is all about family and it gets you know very made fun of for that reason but Dom kind of meets all these people and brings them into his family. I mean, even a, a, a number of the villains from the past movies have ended up becoming kind of good guys and part of this family. Okay. And somebody describes <laughs> describes them as a cult with cars. And I was like, that is just that's, so that's accurate. Do they, do they ever, like, what they, how do they make a living? Are they selling spare parts and, and stuff like during the day? It doesn't to really. To make it you know, in between. It's 10 movies on and I still can't tell you exactly what they do. They basically do heists and save the world. But who they're even working for doesn't really make sense anymore. Okay, does it, is it clear? Do they actually steal stuff off people? They used to, but now they're kind of saving the world. Like there's there's a bomb that's going to go off in Rome at some point in this movie and then they kind of have to stop that from happening even though they were meant to do this heist right. instead. So would there just... be kind of some CIA type or something who'd contact Vin Diesel and say, yeah. Vin, you're our only hope with your super uh, um, cars. Yeah, and then stuff. often you also have this kind of reoccurring plot line where basically a character from their past who, even though after 10 movies we've never heard mention of them before, comes back and is trying to kill Dom and his family. That's 
basically it. It's it's just all very silly and it doesn't really you make see, sense. The I can't thing, explain it. It's it. review proof anyway because the people are the people who love it are still going to go and see it. Yeah, but I can say having seen 10 of them that this is one of the worst ones. Okay, fair enough. So uh, so so be warned. You'll probably go anyway. Yeah. Speaking of stealing, this is possibly one of my favourite stories of the week. This guy who's finally been charged with stealing Judy Garland's slippers from, from The Wizard of Oz, the actual original ones. Yeah. Can I just say even before that though, when are we getting a Fast and the Furious where it's just them like getting their NCT you know what I mean because it's just yeah, like just queuing way, you know reading saying can I, right? can I have a reading of your evening herald because I've been here for four hours anyway yes as you said there is a man who's been charged with stealing a pair of uh, one of the original ruby red slippers worn by Judy Garland in the Wizard of Oz uh, they recovered them in a sting operation like 13 years after they were stolen mm. which is just nuts and I think originally at the time they were stolen they would have been priced at like 900k but now they're probably worth about 3.2 million euro so nice little mark up there with inflation uh, one of the four remaining pairs of red slippers Garland wore in the movie. So, the, yeah, but apparently this is like an old fella, as in like Harrison Ford, old. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, and he just stole it, and they didn't know for a decade who stole. It. And did he then kind of try to be clever and say, "I sent an anonymous letter saying." I, I, I can get that back for you. And they went, oh, so you have them. Uh, yeah. And then they arrested them. Just fully backfired no on them. Like, yeah. yeah. Took them from the Judy Garland Museum in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. Yeah, just and mad. just like, lived down the road. Yeah, just oh, mad God. for the shoes. Mad for the shoes. And they were probably sitting. He probably had it in just a bag. Just sitting there. Yeah, yeah, like, what are you doing with They're them? probably completely manky at this stage yeah. as well. Maybe he's doing like drag performances with them or something in, his, in the comfort well, of his home. I don't know. One-legged drag. You know, he just hops. <laughs> <laughs> hops around his house. Right, that's our lot uh, uh, for today. Uh, thanks to Fanula and Jean uh, and uh, uh, Deirdre. Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.